HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to WTF with Mark Marin. <clears throat> I'm your host, Mark Marin. <laughs> Welcome to Life's Banquet, a show about the highs and lows of all things edible, spreadable, and Nicole. Pourable? Yeah! With your hosts, Nicole Bailey and Zara Tangora. We're done. That's it. That's all you have for today. Great. Hello. How are you? Good. What's good. going on? Um, You know... Just got off of work. Oh yeah, um, that was. I did a tasting. So what were you tasting? Beer, cock sandwiches. Uh, no, we don't sell those at my workplace. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, interesting. What kind of beer did you have? Well, I had like three hundred thousand different kinds of beer. There was cider. There were sour beers. There were IPAs. There were. Sorry, my mom's texting me. There's literally like a beer that's mixed with rosé and they sell it in a can. It's like not. Whoa. Why? Why does that exist? I don't know. I miss the (laughs) days when things were simple and we drank Zima and clear Pepsi and clear gasoline. Yes. As we discussed last week. (laughs) Have you eaten anything delicious this week? You were telling me about some crunchy, crispy tofu. Oh, yeah. I made some tofu, broccoli, cauliflower, roasted it all up with some cauliflower rice because you know checking out that low carb scene yeah sexy keep keep it please keep it sexy yeah um yeah delicious i had to cook i shouldn't say had to i chose (laughs) to cook (laughs) i on my own will chose to cook for my mother my stepfather and their two friends because they were celebrating a joint anniversary do I know the friends? uh the feldmans barbara and ron feldman they're wonderful i don't think you've met them. no i don't think i have okay they're so cute. They love to dance together. We- <laughs> this is a fucking bullshit episode. Sorry. It's fine. Jesus, we <laughs> oh, you know what, Mercury, huh? Uh, I don't know where it is, but it's <laughs> fucking with me. It is a planet. <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with Mercury? Um, okay, so anyway, I cooked for the Feldmans. 
and my parents. They yeah. were both celebrating their anniversary. My parents are at 19 years. The Feldmans are at 30 years. Jeez. They're such lovely people. It was really, really fun, but they all have a different food allergy. So oh my, my mom, because she has colitis, can't do any raw veggies. She's not a picky eater at all, but right. she doesn't do raw veggies um, anymore. Rob, my stepdad, doesn't do gluten, dairy, and he doesn't like squash and other things that are now available in, you know, abundance at our local farmer's market. Yes. Where I like to shop. And the uh, Barbara Feldman, severely allergic to garlic, and her husband, Ron, is avoiding all nightshades. What? It was very hard for me to make a dinner, but I did it. Is she all alliums or just garlic? Just garlic. Weird. Okay. Yeah. I actually, I think I have a sensitivity to garlic as well. Hmm. Because last night when I ate at the restaurant you're working at, it was delicious, but there was a lot of raw garlic in that Caesar. Mm. And I immediately became pregnant sized with gas. Oh, that's not okay. That was confusing. The way you phrase it. <laughs> I'm allergic to it. By allergic, I mean I get pregnant when I eat it. <laughs> so it's actually, it's not a problem, though. It's easily fixed. <laughs> Isn't that a terrible allergy. Oh my God, when I have apples, I get pregnant. That's confusing. It is, <laughs> it is confusing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then I guess other food things, what else did I make this? Oh, so I, what I ended up cooking for them was a roast chicken Okay. over some mushrooms and shallots. Uh, I made a salad that my mom just avoided with a delicious goat cheese and tahini dressing Yum. that I whizzed up together. I was inspired by somewhere we're going later, Ops. You know how they always do that like, creamy like ricotta dressing? Yeah, totally. It's... And it's so delicious. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot um, of shit happening in here someone should silence their cell phones before they go on the air <laughs> um but anyway so i made that stuff i made a big salad with goat cheese and teeny dressing i made some squash that was baked in a, like tomato and fennel sauce which ron avoided actually he t- tried some and then he uh went into anaphylactic shock afterwards. he just doesn't like it He's not yeah. he got pregnant <laughs> he also is pregnant we're starting a family band very cool <laughs> yeah So, today we're going to get right into it because we have a little bit of a shorter show because (laughs) I don't want to say which one of us was late, but it was me. There's no way to find out for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So, we're going to do part two of our three-part series on the 1990s. Yeah. And today, what are we going to talk about? So, basically, as I mentioned before, there's just too much stuff happening in the 90s. So, what I decided to do is just kind of pull out, I guess, like vignettes of like stuff that was happening in the restaurant scene in New York that I thought was interesting to talk about, honestly. So it's just like... <laughs> yeah, please. Like, I want... You were, um, we were talking about this. We spent a long time together last week after the show, yeah. bar crawling, smoking cigs. Mm-hmm. Just kidding, Mom. Um, smoking cigs, drinking, kind of doing the thing that we like to do when we get together, sitting yeah. outside and talking shit. Totally. And you were telling me about some of the stuff, and it was so interesting. I actually think there should be some type of biopic. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. And there's actually, like... It's not all in one place. I had to do a bunch of research. So I'm also like going to be quoting a lot oh. of stuff. <laughs> I would, are you going to do accents? Uh, no, I can't do okay. any accents at okay. all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just want to quickly, before I dive in here, just set the scene for you because we didn't really do that last week. Oh, so, yeah. like, mm-hmm. so, okay. So Clinton was president almost the entirety of the 90s. So just get your head in that right. Clinton administration vibe. Yeah. Um, Johnny Depp and Kate Moss were together. By the way, he was 31 and she was 20 when they met. But Ew. Uh, I know, whatever. Not surprising. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow and Brad Pitt were together. Ooh. And Gwyneth Paltrow and Winona Ryder were still friends. Wait, why aren't they friends now? I don't know. They're falling out. No one's ever spoken to them. Do you think it. it's about B. Pitt? No, no, no. Huh. We don't know for sure. Okay, call us, please. Um, the films that were in the theaters, in no particular order, uh, 
Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, starring <gasps> Kevin Costner. Ooh, call us. I love that movie, even though he goes in and out of an English accent intermittently throughout the entire movie. Or it kind of just, like, fades away. Um, he just forgets. Yeah. Um, the Titanic movie was out there. Never heard of it. Uh, Jurassic Park, one of the greatest movies ever made. Dinos. Goodfellas. Scary. <laughs> Ooh, oh, sorry, that was Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, and Kids was out. Chloe Sevigny was kind of becoming an it girl, that yeah. whole scene. You could still smoke in restaurants. Yes. Yeah. Pizza um, Hut. And uh, I have here, this is kind of dark, but Michael Alleg, club kid, was murdering his drug dealer slash friend, Angel. Yeah. Party monster. Yeah. Welcome to my UFO. Yeah. Um, I love it. Thank you for putting us right there. You, yeah, I feel like we're there. Yeah, right? I, f- I feel like I'm eating Cheeto paws as we speak. Okay, so now we're just going to flash backwards to 1991. Okay. Um, and we are at the Mesa Grill, where Bobby Flay is the <laughs> executive <laughs> chef. <laughs> Sorry, Bobby Flay. It's funny for some reason. I know, it is funny. Um, He's grilling and chilling. Okay. We, we don't really know why it's funny. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> and so I'm going to quote the New York Times... Um, because it's so funny. It's kind of long, but, um, they said, it's a sign of the times that an elegant and moderately expensive restaurant called Sophie went under last year while it's replacement, an obstreperous, I forgot to look up how to pronounce that word. I think Um, it's obstreperous. Great. Um, an obstreperous Southwestern spot called Mesa Grill that turns out entrees under $20 is booming. And they go on to describe the food there as sassy Tex-Mex fare. (laughs) (laughs) And then this is how they described the the inside of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So it's a sizzling social scene characterized by loose-fitting Italian suits, ubiquitous <laughs> ponytails, and more <laughs> exposed legs than Churchill Downs. <laughs> what? What's Churchill Downs? It's a horse race. Oh! Yeah. Why are people having so much leg at the horse race? I just assumed it was the horse's legs. I've oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Horses' legs are always exposed. Okay. And I just want to mention some of the <clears throat> items that were on the menu there. Um, ahi tuna, as we mentioned last week. People love it. Um, mango salsa, which we oh. didn't talk about. And there's also a pineapple salsa. like fruit salsa. Yes. We're obviously having fruit a salsas. moment. Um, and blue corn-crusted salmon cakes. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's yes. what was happening. Bobby Flay's first big deal job at the yeah. Mesa Grill. Um, okay. So now we're going to move on to 1993. Okay. When... Ruth Reichel started working at the New York Times as a food critic. Um, Sweet Babe Angel. I basically just wanted to read some of the stuff that she says. So, like, she reviewed one of her first reviews was of Le Cirque, which obviously did not open in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But she talked so much shit about the service there, and she described her meal there as a parade of brown food, which I found was hilarious. <laughs> What a bitch. And then this is just another quote from her because I just think that she's an amazing writer. This is from, I'm pretty sure, 1995. She's reviewing um, just like a small Chinese restaurant or Shanghai. P.F. Chang's. Yeah. Um, But she's describing soup dumplings and she says, they look innocent, small pale dumplings sitting quietly in the steamer, but they explode upon contact with the teeth turning into flavor grenades that fill the mouth with intensely hot soup. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Yes. And so accurate. I also have to say, just digging back through the old archives of the New York Times and reading her food reviews of restaurants in the 90s is the most fun, and everyone should check that out. I actually have a couple quotes from her in my story as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I also call, uh, I order soup dumplings when I go to Noodle Village. I just ask for the flavor grenades. Yeah. So now I feel better about it. Flavor grenades. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, okay, so now we're going to fast way forward, and you know we got to keep this shorter. But um, so essentially, we're now at 1997 when mm-hmm. Balthazar opened. Um, and this is an article from Vanity Fair describing the restaurant scene in the 90s where Balthazar was like, where rich people hang out in the 90s. Is basically was Balthazar, no, not Keith McNally's first? No, no, no. His first is... The Odeon? Mm, I, maybe the Odeon is the first one. That was in 1980. So like... Okay. That, it, I don't, I, it's hard. Actually, there is no, like, I just assumed I would be like Keith McNally and there would just be a list of every restaurant that he opened and the year that it opened. Right. But, like, his Wikipedia page is, like, three sentences long. Yeah. And there's no such thing. Um, totally. Oh, actually, you know, I meant Keith Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> a little Matt's trivia. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here we are. We're about the czar, 1987. Um... This is the list of people that were there. Calvin Klein, Spike Lee, Robert De Niro, Jerry Seinfeld, Steve Martin, Isaac Mizrahi. Remember that guy? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Throwback. Informer. Um, on this night, despite the fact that the stock market dropped an astonishing 550 points during the day, it was business as usual. Young Wall Streeters sit in happy packs while older foursomes feast on the $98 three-tier seafood sampler as high as a wedding cake. <laughs> So that's what it was like at Balthazar in 1997. That's really funny. I had an ex-boyfriend, I'd say one boyfriend removed from now, which I don't have a boyfriend now. So let's just say a couple years ago, <laughs> dating somebody. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he was cheating on me with his boss. Ooh. And they went to Balthazar and they stayed until like four in the morning. I remember it was a big thing. And he's like, oh, she wanted to get the seafood tower with me. And so they got the seafood tower. He, like, has the nerve to tell me about it. But then, check this, he got food poisoning from it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he shit his brains out for, like, a week. And I was <laughs> like, that is karma in full effect. Well, I do have to say, a public service announcement, it's very difficult to tell where you get food poisoning from. That's because true. Because it hits you in various amounts of time. So right. So everyone out there who writes a Yelp review about getting food poisoning in a restaurant, that's probably not where you got it, just saying. That's um, true. It could have been from the botulism <laughs> I was injecting into his <laughs> protein smoothie right, to in make the him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay, so now we're going to move. We're still in Keeping Alley. We're doing, but like the meatpacking district became what it was, what it is now mm-hmm. in its terrifying currentness. Mm-hmm. Um, famously, Samantha moved there inside some city. <laughs> yes. Um, when it was still part transgender people and also still meatpacking. So right. Keith McNally actually described it um, in Esquire as it felt like it was at the world's end. It was raw, natural, alive, a healthy mix of meatpackers and transvestites. Oh, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and then it go, they went on in that article, the Esquire article, to just say that Balthazar and Pastis, so Pastis is the restaurant that he opened in the meatpacking district in 1999, which was a very big year for restaurants and it's still in the 90s although it's the end of the 90s um and then one of the things that they said they're this is kind of like they're looking back at past yeast now but there's they're saying um a lot of chefs in 2019 may want you or instruct you to gaze and wonder upon the delicate edible origami of their knife work but past in 1999 wasn't about the chef it was about you and so i think that it's interesting because like Chefs were important and they people knew who they were, but it sort of like was laying the groundwork for like the celebrity chef thing that right. started happening mostly like in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like impossible to like think about a time when they didn't exist in that way. Yeah. Um, but this was a time when kind of like it was a little bit different, which I'll go on to reference in my next piece, which is um, also in 1999, well, technically in 1998 on New Year's Eve, Diner opened. <gasps> oh! 
diner, the best. And um, according to Edible Magazine, when he opened diner, he became the accidental mastermind behind Brooklyn food as you know it. And he is Andrew Tarlow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, he, he said in the interview that when he was opening the restaurant for him and Mark Firth, his partner, that they, they, also they both used to work at the Odeon together. Um Tying it all back. <laughs> they the restaurant was like the place, and the food was an afterthought. So like essentially, like when they brought on Carolyn Vidanza, who's a wonderful, amazing opening chef for that restaurant. Yay, um, she's my she's my food icon here, chef yeah, hero. She's wonderful. Um, she she was actually the driving force behind buying from local farmers. That was like sort of her oh. driving idea, and like um, she they just kind of made so like they weren't the first restaurant to buy local food like from farmers but they were the first ones to like do it in a non-fine dining way so it's like accessible and comfortable and like it's a place that you want to hang out um and basically that's kind of all that i have except for also in 1999 prune opened it was like a crazy year for like amazing interesting restaurants to open that are still around today that's huge yeah i mean i always sometimes wonder with like diner and marlo like what what there, I mean, surely someone might have stepped in and there were other people doing interesting things. But um, I accidentally said a couple episodes ago, I meant to do a correction about this, but I, we were talking about diner and I said uh, fast casual, but I meant to say <laughs> casual fine dining. <laughs> right. But I wonder what our restaurant scene would be like today without diner, because at least in, by New York standards and metrics, it was the first big thing really in New York to come up that was casual fine dining. Yeah. And it, I mean, when you think about where restaurants have gone since then, it's all about casual fine dining. I mean, it's all that there is, basically. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, not all, not all that there is, but like that's where like ninety percent of the restaurants in Brooklyn are like. And yeah. yeah, the idea that you could still have like elevated, high quality food, but be comfortable and not have to have this like stuffy fine dining experience yeah. was like revolutionary. Totally. I think like in terms of my own cooking career I, I've said this before but I never went to culinary school I never thought I was gonna be a chef that wasn't on my radar I love to cook and then I got an accident got some money but like eating at diner and Marlo was what inspired me most to want to open my own restaurant and be a chef yeah and Carolyn's food especially I remember she was in my yoga class when in like the year 2007 and I was like oh my god I was like so <laughs> starstruck you would have thought I was like Meryl Streep like doing a down talk beside me I've never gotten a chance to tell her that but if you're listening which I'm sure you are <laughs> Carolyn um I'm big ups all right let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and I have a very intriguing story also about a 1990s restaurant to share with you I can't wait okay My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hello, we're back. So usually I start with a joke, but instead of doing a joke today, I'm going to present you with a gift. Okay. It's a 1990s gift. It's about what we... We are talking about last week, so maybe this week I'll present you with, like, some kind of, like, spicy tuna roll or something. Okay, great. <laughs> that I have been carrying. Look at this! Oh, my God! <laughs> These are 
handy snacks with Ritz crackers. What? I know. They don't make them with regular crackers anymore. What the hell? We've all been eating them. Yeah, I'm definitely going to eat these. Yeah. It's, maybe maybe it's, we should eat. Can you slather us up one? Yeah. And we'll try them on the air. It's a little ASMR. chew on air, right? Yeah. Do you know how many <laughs> calories are in that one packet? I don't know. A hundred. That's it. Yeah. You could eat like five of them. <laughs> If you want, if, if you, you wanted, wanted yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So I'm gonna tell the story today. Uh, of, Wait, they don't. Sorry, no. Go ahead. Please. They don't come with the. There's little, no stick. There's no. Do they? Are they supposed to have a stick? God damn it! That's I'm, the whole thing is the stick. But, but you know, always what? avoided using a stick. Environmentally, anyway. sure. We don't need the, to be using a turtles, stick. We yeah. have ten sticks attached to our arms. <laughs> <laughs> that is just so true. Just use your thumb. Um, <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to tell the story of what, in my mind, sticks out to be the most uh, important and influential restaurant of the 1990s. We're about to eat a handy snack. Oh, my God. <laughs> the cheese's texture is different. <laughs> I like it. It's very salty. Hmm. All right. I think they're actually, these are from the 90s. I don't, they didn't have the Ritz ones in the 90s. No, I mean, they just taste so old. Do you remember they... Oh, yeah, from 2007. Oh. So they also used to have breadstick ones. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are much easier to eat. I was they're... thinking about which one to get. Oh. I'm into it. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I'd eat these as a grab and go. Uh, that's a good breakfast. 100 calories? <laughs> yeah, Out the put, door? Put a fried egg on there. Yeah. You got a stew going. <laughs> okay. Eh. So the restaurant that I remember being most important... From the 90s, and you men, men, uh, mentioned Sex in the City before. It's appeared in there, and countless other film and television shows. Mm-hmm. Nobu. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So, Nobu is a restaurant from a gentleman named Nobu <laughs> Matsuisa. He was born March 10th, 1949, currently age 70. Oh, he's and young. He, yeah, he's 70 years young. Well, the 90s weren't that long ago. Yeah, true. It's like the 1960s. He was uh, born in Japan. Uh, when he was seven years old, unfortunately, his father died in a traffic crash, and he and his two older brothers were raised by his mom. Uh, he became a chef in a Tokyo restaurant at 18, and by age 24, 1973, he moves to Lima, Peru, because he's half Peruvian. Great. This is where the, you know, I actually, I looked a lot about where Asian fusion food was like, who was accredited to the birth of Asian fusion. A lot of people said it was born in like the Philippines. Some people talk about Macau. I was kind of looking for more like which chef, you know, made Asian fusion. Who fused it the first? Who was the first to fuse? (laughs) I feel like it must have come from all the stuff that he did, but who knows? But he was half Peruvian and half Japanese. So when he moves to Peru, he can't find any Japanese ingredients except for fresh fish. So he starts using Peruvian ingredients. He has olive oil, garlic, chili, cilantro. And he's, he starts doing fusion, but he calls it courageous food. Oh, okay. Which I think is... I mean, that's true. No one else was doing it. Totally. Theoretically. It's, ador- <laughs> it's absolutely adorable, if nothing else. Um, so he, like, falls out of favor with his business partner at the time. So he goes to Argentina. Argentina is super slow. There's no fresh fish. He's like, I got to get the hell out of here. Go Sorry, back to a, Japan. Please, yes. So Nicole. In Peru, he had opened a restaurant? He went to go open a restaurant. Correct. Okay, okay, okay. Exactly. I'm sorry. That's a <laughs> crucial part part of the story. Thank you for keeping me in check. Yes, yes. He goes to open a restaurant. Doesn't work out. His partner's a dick. Or maybe he's the dick. Who's to say? Nope. I mean, don't know. Goes back to Japan. Uh, before long, someone gives him an opportunity to open another restaurant. This restaurant is in Alaska. Huh. This is the mid-80s. He takes a $15,000 loan from a friend, goes to Alaska, brings his family. He asks his wife if they can go. He says... 
He needs to try it one more time. She says, okay, Nobu, no problem. They all go. They open uh, in October. He takes his first day off in November on Thanksgiving Day. The phone rings in the middle of the night. Someone on the other line says, the restaurant is on fire. What? So the restaurant burns to the ground within of, a month of it, opening. Was it also a It's fusion? Japanese, yeah. Okay. Fusion restaurant. So he's freaking out. He's quoted as saying, I have no choice now. I have to kill myself. Oh How God. can I kill myself? Maybe I can get hit by a train, get hit by a car, fall into the ocean. So many different ways. He could run into I a was burning so restaurant. Yeah, he could have just <laughs> gone outside without his socks. It's Alaska. It's uh, freezing. Right. Got eaten by a wolverine. I mean. I like that falling into the ocean is his like suicide. I know. Thing. I mean, first of all, you're on the shore. You're just going to tip over. Or maybe he can't swim at all. Perhaps he doesn't know how to swim. Hmm. Anyway, okay. I'm glad it didn't happen because he goes to <laughs> give us so many gifts and you know open so many restaurants. Yeah. Um. But anyway, that's a, that's a crazy thing. And in all seriousness, I know that feeling too. In a way of like sure. you see your whole, all your money, your nest egg, everything your kids are depending on you, your family. It, it's so much like it emotion and intensity. Like so in much. Like yeah, it's crazy. There was times at Brucey when I felt like, you know, I'm not. I never like planned my suicide, but I definitely was like, <laughs> don't you laugh at me wanting to commit suicide, well, you, you bitch. Di- I'm laughing at that you didn't want to commit suicide. Didn't that is funny. I didn't make a plan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so I definitely had times where I was like, I, I'm so despaired. I want to die because I don't know how yeah. to get out of this problem. Totally. Um, okay, so he moves to L.A. His family goes back to Japan for a brief bit. He gets an opportunity in L.A. at a six-seat restaurant um, that he's working for somebody else's family comes back because six it starts seats. six seats. Wow. Comes back because it starts working out. He then uh, gets a, in, in 1987, gets a close friend to invest $70,000 to open his own restaurant um, on, called uh, Matsuisa. His last name. Ah. I knew that. I just didn't know how to pronounce it. And I got really sweaty and nervous for a second. It was in Beverly Hills. Tons of celebrities start coming in. It's in uh, a in Beverly Hills, as I just mentioned. Sorry, I have Alzheimer's. <laughs> um, Robert De Niro comes in one day. In He's the, everywhere in the 90s. Yeah, he, exactly. <laughs> he was at Balthazar. He was at Balthazar, then he gets on a plane, he goes over to this place. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he comes in, he loves the food, and he keeps begging Nobu to open a restaurant for like four years. Nobu's like, no, 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 no. And Robert Jr. is like, yeah, 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 yeah. So this, okay, sorry. So the place that he got $70,000 for was not his, his own place. But Robert Jr. wants him to open another place? Another place, place in New York. Okay. Because Robert Jr. is all about that Tribeca lifestyle. Sure is. Right? Um, so anyway, finally he says yes. And in 1994, they opened Nobu in Tribeca. His signature dish, the black cod in miso. <laughs> now, black cod is sable. And most people just thought Sable is just for, you know, us Jewish folks. But really, it's for everyone, including the Japanese. So the black cotton miso, I was just talking to Michael out there who does the food scene before us. And he was talking about how the black cotton miso is equal parts miso soy and uh, sweet uh, miso mirin and sweet soy. I don't even know. I don't know what the hell is in it. Who knows? Nobody knows for sure. No one knows. Everyone knows that has access it's to the internet. Industry secret. <laughs> um, anyway, it was very popular and became like replicated. And he started doing a lot of this like fusion stuff. He would have different types of ingredients and nobody was aware of that. Actually, Ruth Reichel goes on to say later in this as uh, that nobody until 1995 in New York, she still had to describe to people in the times what sushi was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. People had no idea. Um, so anyway, 
Nobu attributes his success to learning from failure after failure, which I love because that's exactly what we talk about on the show, and I actually feel very similar. And he says his secret to success is, quote, Kokoro. Kokoro, in English, means your heart. Aww. Which is so cute. Um, he had small roles in three major films, including Casino, duh, uh, alongside his business partner, Robert De Niro, Austin Powers in 2002, and Memoirs of a Geisha. Uh, they now have, I believe, 42 restaurants and a bunch of luxury hotels. I think eight luxury hotels. The international brand, uh, Nobu Hospitality, has... 500 is worth 500 million dollars obviously his business partner is Robert De Niro and he has a couple other people um it's pretty insane like what they're planning on doing they're just keep rolling them out their restaurants all over the world um Ruth Reichel quoted as saying when she first ate at Nobu I was a real sushi aficionado very much into classical sushi so I was a little taken aback it seemed tricky to me the menu was pages and pages long, but I was also intrigued by the things he was doing. Like the squid, he turned into pasta. I was gradually won over. So he did squidding pasta? Is that what? I think he turned actual squid into pasta. Whoa, yeah. that sounds amazing. Yeah. And then she says, it's difficult to understand from this vantage point, but as late as 1995, I still had to explain what sushi was to the readers in the New York Times. There's not a big sushi aesthetic in New York, not like in Los Angeles. Interesting. So there, it was already a thing in Los Angeles. Yes. And then in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. I think there was more Japanese immigrants in Los Angeles. Actually, oh, we did right. the history that, of the California roll. That makes sense. There was a lot of people, a lot of Japanese folks in um, Canada and then also on the West Coast because it's a bit closer. I think it's so fascinating because there was a sushi restaurant in Indianapolis in the 90s. I just don't was understand. It amazing. It, it was fine. Yeah. I don't know. I can't, I, I like didn't eat sushi until I was like 20 or something. Was but. it all lake trout? No. <laughs> it's like regular. My sister actually worked there. I think I mentioned that either on this podcast or another podcast that we were on together. Oh, amazing. But it's just weird that the Indiana caught on to sushi so early. I don't know. I'm yeah, just, early I'm adapters. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what Mike Pence always says, a sushi roll a day keeps all the gay people away from yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen. So, um... What restaurant... Okay, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. A little, uh, little surprise chef recommends. What restaurant would you go to now if you most wanted to channel 90s vibes? Um, I mean, I don't know. So, interestingly, I was doing this research and I kept being like, oh, all those vegetarian restaurants in the East Village are from the 90s, but they're all from the 70s. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I think... But they, they remind me of the 90s so much. Like... Totally. Like Angelica Kitchen. Like they're also like clothes, but like um, Angelica Kitchen to me is like 90s, like Dragon Bowl, like totally. Birkenstocks and socks and like hippie vibe yeah, kind yeah. of a thing. Like the NoHo Star. Is that place still open? That's on Laf- was on Lafayette? That was know. very 90s to me. I don't know, actually. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to Nobu? I've never been to Nobu. Hmm. Or Nobu next door, which they opened as like the cheaper version, which is still extremely expensive. It's very expensive, yeah. No, I've never been to Nobu. I've never been to the Odeon. I have been to Balthazar. I will say that Balthazar, Balthazar, I think, is where I would say I'd go. Oh, yeah. Or Outback Steakhouse. Oh, it's chain restaurants. Yeah. Well, then I would go to Chi-Chi's, which is a now-closed chain restaurant from in the, like, the Midwest. We didn't have Chi-Chi's. Was that the same as CeCe's? Isn't that a pizza place? CeCe's is like a pizza buffet thing. What's Chi-Chi's? It's like a not-great Mexican restaurant oh. chain that... Also, Chi-Chi's means, like, boobs in... Spanish. <laughs> Interesting. They're actually also a sponsor of today's show. <laughs> Brought to you by boobs. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm battling a cold. Um, 
I would go to, I mean, Balthazar is amazing. I've only been for drinks there, but it's very fun because they give you free nibbles and amazing. They'll bring out a whole freaking tier of uh, hard boiled eggs. Also, there's like a crazy pastry basket that you can get during brunch that's like basically probably as high as the seafood tower. It's like 7,000 pastries. Really? Yeah. Well, their pastries are good. I love their scones, which you can find basically everywhere. Yeah. Um, Although, okay, so they have their scones at Bittersweet Coffee, which is my favorite and least favorite coffee spot ever in Fort Greene. They have great coffee. They have La Colombe. They have Balthazar pastries. But... There's a lot of problems. Like, they only open one of the doors. It's set up strange. <laughs> but I go there all the time religiously. You do, yeah. I love it there. Um, but wait, I was thinking, the one other thing about Balthazar yeah. we have to talk about is when the mirror fell off Oh the my wall. god, the mirror! <laughs> That's crazy! I it, know! It was like a 2,000-pound mirror, and it just fell right off the wall into a bunch of people. Nobody died. Nobody died, or was severely injured. But can you imagine? No. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I can't. Although, I can imagine anything. There was a time, I don't know if you were there, but at Brucey, when the wall lit on fire. No, it's it was not Just there. next to some diners. For no reason. It just <laughs> lit on fire. Um, okay, cool. What are your three favorite dishes from the 19, like 1990s yeah. style dishes? So, mine is just going to be like stuff that I was eating in the 90s. Nice. I don't obviously think it was invented in the 90s, but yeah. here we go. So, I was definitely eating... Bagel bites. I'm sorry to be in the back, but they were just very uh-huh. important to my life. They're great. <laughs> also, um, in the 90s, my dad worked for... My dad's a mechanic for semi, so he worked on McDonald's semi-trucks. Uh-huh. So he would get bulk McDonald's food frozen, and we would eat that. Oh, like, my God. And it's it tasted very different than it did at the restaurant. Because, How so? Well, we would bake the fries instead of frying them, and like there would be... like. I don't know. It's just like the way that we prepared them was just different, but it was just fascinating to me that we had warehouse McDonald's food in our house. It's amazing. We had the chicken breast, <gasps> like with the grill marks already on it. Really? Yeah. Better or worse at home? It was worse at home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And then I think basically casseroles were mm. an important part of my childhood um i was you know in high school middle school high school in the 90s um so the tuna casserole with the potato chips on top sure i was eating that potato chips or potato sticks chips okay because potato sticks were also a popular casserole topper really yeah huh. that's right and cornflakes <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right all right i'm gonna go ahead and say huh i have a couple sizzling fajitas Okay, great. I never wanted this, but I do remember very strongly the you're eating in a restaurant and they just walk by you and it's sizzling so loud. So loud. Stops everyone's conversation. Every two seconds you have to stop your conversation. You're like, mom, uh, you're like, kids, mom and dad are going to get a... a Yes. You're like, excuse me, come again. It's comically loud. They're like carrying burning hot fire at this <laughs> restaurant. Those poor servers. I know. Sizzling fajitas were absolutely amazing, though. I, I really, really liked them. Um, <laughs> so funny to me. I don't know. I'm going to drop another thing on you. No idea whether this was 90s or not, but I definitely ate in stuffed crust pizza. Oh, my God. Yes, definitely. Because yeah. I worked at Pizza Hut. So it was definitely the 90s because I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, huge game changer. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> really total yeah. game changer. Yeah. And then another thing that was definitely inspired by uh, Nobu, but I remember having it at Sushi Samba, which is another restaurant from the 90s that yes. is so worth mentioning. Yes. Do you remember oh when God. Sex in the City? It was like, Sushi Samba is the coolest place ever. And I remember going to FIT, this almost makes me cry. And I like brought my parents there oh. and they thought it was like so fun. And we're like, this is the greatest place ever. And it was the greatest place ever. It was so fun. Like it was this kind of like almost theme restaurant for like adults and I had never experienced that before. Yeah, that sounds, I never went there but it sounds incredible. Like just like poor quality fish drenched in lots of sauces, very expensive flourless chocolate cake oozing by the gallon. 90s classic. Yeah, lots of, um, I remember we would go, oh, you know what? I was going to say my favorite thing was the sushi taco which was invent- was something that Nobu championed but I'm switching to a beverage which okay. was also not invented in the 90s but definitely popularized in the 90s. Can you guess what it is? No. The Cosmopolitan. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I it, it's still it. popular. People order that all the time at the restaurant that I work at. Really? Yeah. Do you guys have cranberry juice? We do not. You can't get it there. <laughs> what do you mean? You just say no? I'm like please no. You cannot have this. What do you give them instead? A shot of Jameson? I'm like, yes. <laughs> we don't have Jameson. That's what I used to do when I was bartending. People would come in and go like, can I get a slippery vagina or like a hairy eyeball? I'd be like, sure. And then, you know, whatever weird shot the kids were drinking at the time, and I'd be like, yep, here you go. And I'd just pour a straight Jameson. And they'd be like, wait, I asked for a, a squirrely backbone. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is how we make it here. <laughs> just Jameson. <laughs> squirrely backbone. <laughs> You've just been waiting to rattle off these fake cocktail names. <laughs> Can I get a turtle shell dripped in nacho cheese? Mm-hmm. It's made of pure Jameson. No problem. <laughs> that does remind me, though, of... So I was in college at the very end of the 90s, but I was just talking about this, about how I was really into drinking, like, the ultra-light beers for, like, mm. like Michelob oh, yeah. Ultra. Sure. And then also flavored vodka was happening. Mm. Um, and I would drink vanilla vodka and Diet Cokes. Oh, yeah. I have a, a horrible thing to mention from the 90s. How about, ever heard of Bud Ice? I have heard of it. Is it, it what it, is it's it? It's like extra strong Budweiser that makes uh, 16-year-olds who drink it puke all over like Sweet 16. Steel Reserve is like that. It's like- yeah, I remember my first drinking experience... Well, that's not true. I think my first drinking experience, I was like nine. I started early. But when I was, my first like getting very sick experience, I was taking shots of beef eater gin, as one does when they're 15 or 16. Nope. Gold schlutter over here. (laughs) (laughs) And I was chasing it with Bud Ice, and we went to a friend's Pete 16, and I vomited on the dance floor all yeah. over her family, but nobody noticed because I was a sneaky puker because I was embarrassed, but I did all have to puke. over her family? I puked all over the dance floor and her family, was I remember, dancing was in dancing in it. That is so disgusting. Can you imagine? You have a child, you do your best, and it's dumbass friend. I wasn't even actually really very good friends with this person. I barely it's knew friend. them. <laughs> it's friend. It's acquaintance comes to your party that you spend your hard-earned money for and yeah, roll barfs the everywhere? You roll that. If a teenager sucks, like, you just... You, they stink. Yeah. I also barfed in washing machines, down my own shirt. Oh, my in God. In my friends' cars. I was a big puker in the 90s. <laughs> and 2000s. Yeah. Today, yeah, not yeah. so much. And yeah, that's interesting. Also, I was... T- <laughs> Speaking of drinking when you're nine, one of the beer rips, I was telling them about this podcast and about... We were talking about the hard seltzer, of course. Everyone uh-huh. can't stop talking about it. And then we circled back to Mike's Hard Lemonade and he oh, was like very 90s. he was like the first time I ever had alcohol was by accident because my mom had Mike's Hard Lemonade in the refrigerator and I'm like literally nine 
Um, and I'm like coming home from school and I'm just like, oh, cool, lemonade. And so my mom comes home from work and I'm just sitting there doing my homework, drinking like a Mike's Hard Lemonade. And she was like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, what? And she, like, he had no idea. That's really funny. Mike's Hard Lemonade was definitely a 90s, 2000s thing, but it gave me terrible diarrhea. <laughs> Like, I remember being at parties and, like, having to, like, have diarrhea because I had drank, like, five Mike's Hard Lemonades and just being like, what am I doing to my, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Anyway. Which is a question everyone asks themselves when they're young and then they just stop doing it. Exactly. (laughs) That's why I'm now a representative for Mike. This show brought to you by Mike's Hard Lemonade and also by Pepto-Bismol. And (laughs) Chi-Chi's. And (laughs) Chi-Chi's. All right, guys. Uh, Nicole, this was just lovely. I can't wait. Join us next week for part three. Okay, great. We're going to be. What are we going to talk about? Movies. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a food I'm podcast. not even going to be here. <laughs> I quit. Hasta la pasta. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.